Welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm Lynn Galadner, a writer, entrepreneur, and changemaker, and I've dedicated my life to sharing stories of how people make meaning in their work and find purpose in their lives. This podcast highlights some of the great ideas and activities people do every day to make the world a better place. So much of the meaning we find comes from interacting with great people, developing relationships that are mutually beneficial, and doing work that inspires. I hope you'll be inspired by the people you meet on this podcast. We all need to find a way to make meaning in the mundane. Welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. I've known this next guest for the better part of 20 years. I first met Ken Budd when I wrote articles for AARP Magazine. Ken was my editor and one of the best I ever worked with. We've stayed in touch on LinkedIn through the years, and recently I noticed a new venture that Ken was launching, the 650,000 Hours Newsletter. Ken Budd has written for the New York Times, National Geographic Traveler, the Washington Post, and he is the Everyday Heroes columnist for the Saturday Evening Post. The author of an award-winning memoir entitled The Voluntourist, which was published by HarperCollins, Ken has appeared on TV and radio, won awards for his writing, and traveled the world volunteering as a way to find meaning and purpose after the unexpected death of his father. I am so honored to welcome Ken to the Make Meaning podcast. Ken, thank you very much for being here today. Oh, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you. So, wow, you have such an impressive list of accomplishments and publications. I'm not even sure where to start, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'd love to dive into your most recent project, 650,000 Hours. So this was named after the average human lifespan, which amounts to 650,000 hours, right? Yeah? Yeah. Well, what happened there was when I was volunteering around the world, which wound up being part of my book. I was in mm-hmm. Ecuador, and it was this scientific project, and I met a woman there. She was from the UK, and she was part of this research team. And she had loved science, but she had been working for this government contractor, and it was Bill Bryson's book, A Short History of Nearly Everything. And on the second page of that book, he says, the average human life, a long human life, lasts about 650,000 hours. And this woman, mm-hmm. and she read this, and she thought, you know, what am I doing? <laughs> she said she was in a meeting at work and she looked around the room and she said, why am I giving you people one of my hours? And she went back to school and she became a scientist and, and, you know, she was romping around the rainforest now with these college kids. It was all because huh. of that number, 650,000 hours. Yeah. Wow. So tell me about the newsletter. Um, how did it come to be and what is your vision for it? Well, it started, I'm, I'm working with two co-producers to develop a digital series called 650,000 Hours. And mm-hmm. originally I had blogged a little bit. And uh, you know, once I started freelance writing, I was thinking, well, you know, I can sell these stories. But, but what <laughs> happened was I was receiving other people's newsletters and I really liked it. And I was just coming across so much material on kind of living your best life, on seeing the world, on these sort of amazing people. And that's when I kind of thought, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I could be sharing here. So I, I'm I write a little essay of my own, and then it's really my recommended reads on these various topics. Okay, very cool. And so where do you want to take it? Do you have a vision for how you might think it unfolds or how it might grow into something else? Um, yeah, we've just started, so it's only been a couple issues. Um, mm-hmm. But i got to say, as a longtime magazine editor, I, I like the idea of creating lineups. I, I miss that part of it, so that's been yeah. fun as well. So. Yeah, at this point, it's really just getting the word out and, and building up the audience, and we'll see where it goes from there. 
Well, that's awesome. Before we finish our conversation, we're going to give um, information to our listeners so that they can sign up for it. And we will include it in the show notes as well. So um, we want to get lots of people reading it. But um, I wanted to know a little bit more about your globetrotting adventures volunteering. So can you tell me a little bit about sort of what inspired you to start doing that and some of the highlights of places you've been and places you volunteered? Yeah, it was really serendipity. I never set out to volunteer around the world. I, as you mentioned, you know, my father had died and I was, it was a real shock and I had just turned 40 and there were some issues kind of going on in my life. And it was through my job, this email came around about volunteering in New Orleans. It was about nine Mm -hmm. months after Hurricane Katrina. And without even thinking about it, I just was like, yes, yes, I'm Hmm. going to do this. And and that sort of started something. And then I went to Costa Rica and my, my wife and I worked at a little rural elementary school. And then I wound up in China, in Kenya, mm-hmm. in the West Bank, mm-hmm. and in Ecuador. Mm-hmm. Wow. Were there any highlights that you want to share with our listeners or favorite memories that, that you found most inspiring or that really changed you? Yeah, you know, it's funny when you're in the heat of it, at least for me, you know, it's a real culture shock in some ways, especially in China, because I worked at this it was a special needs school mm-hmm. and, you know, I have no experience working with special needs kids. I don't speak Chinese. So you can imagine, mm-hmm. you know, what an asset I was to the operation. there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so mm-hmm. in the moment you're just sort of like, Oh my God. Like I actually wrote in a pad culture shock overload. Cause I was just so, so I always found there was a processing point. Like you got home uh-huh. and that's when it was like, Oh my gosh, this was a really amazing experience. But you know, what I found, particularly there, too, was you're there for a certain job, and I was primarily paired with this one little boy who needed, he had developmental disabilities, and he just needed individual attention. He needed someone mm-hmm. to take in places. You know, they were trying to help him improve his motor mm-hmm. skills. Mm-hmm. So you think you're going for that, but I always thought the benefit was that you're just connecting with people. Like, these teachers there, they worked mm-hmm. really hard jobs, and I was there with a friend. I always thought, like, we were a break in their routine, and, they like, they would try out mm-hmm. English phrases and they got a little English dictionary. And, and I heard after mm-hmm. we left, they said, you know, we seem to laugh more when mm. we have volunteers here. So, and I found mm. that everywhere I went, you know, you, you think you're going for this one thing, but there's actually this intangible thing that's happening and people are huh. learning about each other. Yeah. That human connection feels really important at a time when we're so digitally connected, but maybe more alone um, in real time, you know? Um, Do you find that um, you learn certain truths about life or about yourself just by going to these different places and seeing seeing the shared um, interests or shared values of humanity? Well, that's that's a big part of it. What you find, too, when you travel is that people have as many stereotypes about you as you do about <laughs> them. So, uh-huh, so when you're just uh-huh. talking with people and you're eating with people and, you know, these barriers start to come down and you realize, you know, that, that we're all basically the same, which sounds like a cliche and it's very, we are the world, but, but it's true. Yeah. And I found that again and again. Yeah. So, you know, you, you said um, something earlier about your father and, you know, when he passed away um, that you wanted to live up to his life uh, while you were mourning his death, um, and you wanted to make sure that your life mattered, uh, which is quite a reckoning. And um, a lot, I'm sure a lot of people feel like, you know, do I matter? Why am I here? But may not actually act on it. Um, so I wonder what um, prompted you to want to take action. You know, you, you said that you got this email about um, New Orleans, and you just said, I'm going to do it. Um, was it your dad's legacy? Was it, um, you know, what what was it that that spurred you to action um, to make sure that 
your life matters? Yeah, well, I think, you know, in part, you know, I was grieving and I was, it's, it's, it's almost like occupational therapy, you know, mm-hmm. both writing the book and going and doing all this traveling. And, and, you know, when I was in Costa Rica and another volunteer told me that you really, you only learn about yourself when you're outside your comfort zone. And then I think mm-hmm. he's right. And that was partly what I was doing as well. You know, I, I used to joke that, you know, when you're going through a, a life crisis, you know, you, you can't mm-hmm. just stay where you are. And no one ever says like, you know, I, I'm really struggling. I just, I had to go to Disney world. You know, no, no one says that you have to kind of, <laughs> you, you go somewhere where you're challenged and it's totally different. And it, you, and when that happens, you do, you see yourself in new ways in ways that you wouldn't, mm. if you were just, you know, sitting on the Barca lounger at home. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel that, um, action leads to more action, like taking that first trip, um, and the way it made you feel and the the clarity and the insight that you gained led you to the next and eventually to become, you know, somebody who's really willing to, to go and do and volunteer and and that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it, it does sort of like light something, but it's interesting because, you know, there are certain criticisms of, people who do these short-term volunteer trips. Mm-hmm. And sure. but one thing I've seen, and it happened to me, was that, you know, it actually changes you at home. Like, I volunteer at home now. I don't know that I would be doing that if I hadn't been volunteering hmm. around the world. So you, the world shrinks when you do this stuff, too. And so, yeah. you know, I feel more connected to my home, but I also feel more connected to the world. And that, and it's funny, too. I mentioned the how you know, we see each other differently. That happens too. just volunteering at home. I'm exposed to people that I wouldn't be exposed to otherwise. Sure. Yeah. So, and you've said that your dad is one person who really inspired you. So tell, tell us a little bit about what was so special about him. Yeah, my dad was a, a special guy. You know, he grew up extremely poor uh, here in Virginia and in the rural parts of Virginia and never went to college, but he was really smart and he was ambitious and he worked twice as hard as everyone else. And he worked his way up to like upper management and like a lot of mm. big electronics companies. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when he died, it was, I, I started getting these letters from people who had worked with him and they're saying like, you know, your father changed my life. And, wow. and what I realized was, you know, he never forgot where he started from. And so he always mm. was really good about helping others. And, you know, he had a friend, you know, he made sure he got into college and things like that. So, so mm-hmm. it was little things, big things, but he took care of the people who worked for him and they really you know, respected him for that. That's really nice. What a special thing to receive those kinds of letters. That's, that's really lovely. Yeah. Um, you know, I often struggle with this notion of being ordinary um, and realizing that, you know, most of us won't be superstars or billionaires. Um, but then <laughs> I wonder how can we inspire people to live their best life and to, to really feel like, yes, they matter. And yes, they're enough. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, yeah, most of us, I would say, most of us aren't Bill Gates. We're not going to write a check for $20 million to some organization. But, uh, you know, I I started this, as you said, kind of thinking I wanted to live a life that mattered. I felt like my life didn't matter. And then you kind of realize, well, duh, you know, every life matters. But, you know, one of the things I found again and again was that there's really power in small gestures. And we, we don't hmm. necessarily think that, but you know, when I went to Costa Rica at the school, the guy who ran the local program there, he was a local guy. He said, you know, in a lot of developing countries, parents will send their kids to school instead of to work if foreigners hmm. are there, because, well, if foreigners are there, there must be something interesting going mm-hmm. on. So, hmm. you know, you, sometimes you make a difference just by showing up. So, yeah. And you know, I, I've, I've seen, I saw a study not too long ago about actually 
So when a stranger looks at you and smiles, it actually has a physical effect on your, hmm. you know, your mental system, your emotional system. You know, so just you know, looking at people, acknowledging people, you know, the smallest mm-hmm. things really do have impact. It's interesting that you say that. I remember when I was a kid, there was this one bully, everybody has a memory of one. And um, <laughs> he he tormented me through middle school. And when we were going to high school, a girlfriend of mine said, when you see him on the first day of high school, just look him in the eye and say hi and say his name. And I was like horrified. Um, but I did it. And he was stunned because it didn't he didn't have that impact on me again. And mm. he never, never bullied me again, because I just looked him in the eye and I smiled and I said his name. And um and yeah, and of course, at the 10-year reunion, he went around and apologized to everyone because he realized that he was such a bully. But, <laughs> but you know, that, that looking him in the eye, and I remember my heart pounding, like, I can't believe I'm doing this at 14 years old. But um, but it was so true. It was really, really true. That's a um, good bully so, strategy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I wondered if you could share with our listeners, um, you said there are four, lesson, four lessons you've learned volunteering. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you could share that with our listeners. Yeah, well, one is the one I just mentioned, that there's power and small gestures. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, and the thing I found too is it's not that it's us with these small gestures. It's that small gestures taken together become large gestures. And it's, sure. it's all of us doing these little things. And that was one thing. Mm-hmm. The other was, uh, and feeling stupid is good. Because <laughs> <was something> <laughs> everywhere I went, it was inevitable. I felt stupid about something. I screwed up the language. I screwed up something. But I always found uh-huh. When I did that, I learned something about myself, about the people I was meeting, about the local culture. So, sure. you know, sometimes people are afraid to travel for that reason, like, oh, I don't speak the language, I don't this, I don't that. That's yeah. part of it. That's part of why you go and you come out of it, or, you know, a richer person for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Number three may also seem like a little obvious, but life is really a, a precious gift. And I, I learned that both of my parents died very suddenly. I mean, that's the whole idea behind 650,000 hours is that it puts sure. it in perspective. You know, we don't get a lot of time here. Yeah. And the other thing was something my dad had told me, which is that success comes from helping others succeed. And I was lucky enough mm. to meet a lot of people who I thought embodied that idea. Yeah. Those are great lessons. We will definitely share them when we post the episode. Um, one last question I wanted to ask you. Um, you had mentioned that um, since you left editing and you're focusing on freelance writing, um, that your income is down, but your satisfaction is up. And I'd love to explore that idea. Um, I've been doing a lot of reading about people who make a jump um, from one type of work to another or totally different lifestyle and I and I, that, that that concept of satisfaction seems to appear in every single story that I'm uncovering. So tell me a little bit about that transition from editing to writing, and um, and that you know why um, having that improved satisfaction makes it all worth it. You know, I, I you know I'd been an editor for a long time, and I was always freelancing on the side, and sure. it was something I thought I would do maybe in my mid fifties or something. But yeah, you know, one thing that happened to me, and I've seen it happen to a lot of people, is you get into a certain field because you like doing a certain thing. So in my case, you know, I like language. I like working with language. And then over the years, you kind of move up the ladder and suddenly you're like an administrator. And I remember I was doing budgets <laughs> one day. I'm like, why am I doing budgets? <laughs> like, I, I, what, what happened here? So yeah, after my mom died, um, yeah, I wasn't crazy about the job I was at. And my wife had said to me, well, why don't you just quit? You can always get another job. And I was like, Oh, well, I had, huh. I had any, any yeah. regret. I regret saying that, I think. But, um, but yeah, that was, 
but yeah, it was really the death of my mom. My mom died suddenly like my dad. And I just thought, you know, I don't want to be on my deathbed when, when it's my turn. I don't want to regret that I didn't do what I really yeah. wanted to do. And so that's why I decided to make the leap. And yeah, you know, the, the money thing, you've probably seen there are studies showing that at a certain point money stops having an influence on happiness once you've kind of taken care of your core needs. Yeah. So, so yeah, I could yeah. be making more money doing what I was doing, but yeah, I'm much happier with what I'm doing. I'm actually much prouder of the smaller paycheck. <laughs> I guess. So, <laughs> yes. um, yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's easy to get caught up in money for, you know, a lot of it's ego too, but, um, sure, for sure. me, the translation has just really been, it's really increased my life satisfaction. That's awesome. That's so great. Well, um, thank you for sharing your story with us today. I wonder if you can share with our listeners how they can find 650,000 hours or get involved in this conversation. Yeah. If you go to 650,000hours.com. You can sign up for the newsletter there. Uh, It's totally free, once a month. Um, And you can find out a little bit about the series and see some other fun stuff. Excellent. Well, Ken Bud, thank you so much for being on the Make Meaning Podcast. That's been great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'd love it if you would share our great conversations with your people so we can all add meaning wherever we go and whatever we do.